Okay, yeah, I was wondering if you'd ever turn that screen on for me. Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to continue in our series, but I, but I want to start with a little bit of an unusual start today. Uh, I, I know that probably a lot of us are not real concerned about fashions and that kind of thing, but I want to start today uh, by focusing your attention on the fashion centers that we have in our world today. If you want to be on the cutting edge, you'll be in either New York or Paris or Milan or London. Uh, they're renowned for their influence and so forth. Now, I'm going to give you a peek at next year's cutting edge fashions. Now, cautionary point here. We say this is the service for adults, all right? I mean, I'm, I'm being serious now. Um, your children, if, you're, if your children are in here, you're going to get a much better experience down the hallway in our children's ministries. And there are some things we discuss in here and show in here that may not be fit for children's eyes. So have I given a warning? Okay. And by the way, I don't mean to be offensive to you. I mean, I'm not the fashion ministry guy, you know what I'm saying? This is them, it's not, but we live in the same world. So um, here we go. Oh, it's shocking. Oh, it's so vulgar. <laughs> now, we all know it's the Amish look. So obviously I was being silly, didn't work. I'll try it better as the next service. <laughs> You learn as you go, you know. Now, I tell you what, the thing about the Amish dress, personally, I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of got a Doc Holliday, you know, Wyatt Earp look to it that, that I personally would love, um, other than the beard with no mustache. I'm not so sure about that. But they have a reason behind dressing like that. And I'm going to just read a statement. It's from one of the Amish sites and to kind of get us on target of where we're going here today. The characteristic style of plain Amish dress is the most obvious outward manifestation of their faith, purity, and social separation from the world. What do you mean separation from the world? I thought we'd lived in the world. How do you separate yourself from the world? What do they mean by the world? Uh, most of us that have been in churches you know, long enough, we've heard this term world or, or worldliness. So essentially they're saying the way they dress brings some kind of a separation between themselves and the world, whatever the world may be. But is that necessarily so? If I dress like Doc Holliday every day, does that mean that I'm going to be separate from the world or worldliness, whatever, whatever that is? I mean, if you look in the dictionary, a definition of worldliness, it is one that is very experienced in life and very sophisticated in life. Well, that, that sounds like something that might be good to have. And, and yet, in church world, we kind of look at it differently and we have a different idea about it. With this word, and this is where the message is going to come from today, the Spirit of God wants to speak to we today that are His people through James about this concept of worldliness but but what is it and, and and why should we be bothered with it and and is it just a manner of what we wear or is it perhaps something that's way deeper let me go further what what if the truth were many of us most of us all of us what what if and i'm not saying we are i mean what if the truth is that 
whatever worldliness is, what if it's something significantly dangerous to the point that we are all actually in danger of it and it's worse because we don't even know that we're in danger. Now, I'm not saying we are, but I'm just saying what if? What if we are? What if, what if God wants to pull us aside, as it were, today, turn on the lights, show us what this is, and show us, in fact, we might, each and every one of us, be in great danger, not small danger, great danger, from this concept, whatever it is, of worldliness. Well, let's jump into James chapter 4, and he's going to get us into this subject, and we're going to get into some foreign terms and ideas and some things that will stimulate some thought for sure. So here we go. James, the half-brother of Jesus, and we've said before, you know, he's writing to followers of Christ who have 11 years earlier been scattered all over the world of their day because persecution broke out in Jerusalem. They're having to resettle. They're, they're having difficult times getting their lives restarted. Some of us have gone through that. We know how hard it can be. And so he's writing to them based on information that he's received about the kinds of struggles and problems and character problems that are developing. So here we go. He says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? So evidently they were having some fights and quarrels. Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? So he's acknowledging that even these individuals that have put their trust in Christ and become his followers are still struggling with evil desires, desires that need to be recognized and, and ultimately we need to rid ourselves of them. But nevertheless, it's a reality. Verse 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme <laughs> and you kill. We can only hope that he didn't really mean kill. I, I don't know, or physically kill. You scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. We kind of covered that last week, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. He's saying, you know, if you want it, and it's legit, just pray and ask for it, he goes on. Even when you do ask, even when you do pray, in other words, you don't get it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. How many have ever prayed for something that you didn't get? In other words, God can say yes, he can say wait, he can say no. I have lived long enough that some of the no's that God said to me, I am thankful for now because I can be very stupid in what I ask for. Anyway, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. God looks at not what we ask, but why we ask. What is my motive? He, he really cares about our inner character. Goes on. You, and this is where it gets kind of insulting. You, what is the word? Adulterers. <laughs> Nobody wants to say it because like, it might be incriminating. I don't want to say this as though, as though I could possibly be an adulterer. Yeah. But he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship, mere friendship with the what? The world. Now, here, here we get into this, this concept, world, worldliness. What, what is it all about? Even friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, even if you just want to be, maybe you're not even making the cut, but you just want to be, you're a wannabe, you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself, what does it say? That's confusing. Why? I, I, I mean, the world? 
So, so the Bible uses the world in three different ways. It, it uses the world like the planet, and obviously it's not talking about the planet. It uses the world like all the people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and so forth. It's not talking about that. So what is it talking about? There is a third use of the term world in Scripture, and that's what we want to look at because clearly this is something that God feels strongly about. And, and why the term adulterers and why the warning about mere friendship with whatever this thing is that's called the world. Let's go on a little bit more. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is, what is the word? Passionate, passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be, what does it say? Faithful to him. So pause for a minute. It's saying that God is this relational being who has intense feelings. I, I started on something last week about Sometimes we look at God as though he is some sort of an odd being that, you know, he's big and powerful and smart, but he's easily manipulated. You just do the right ceremony, and you can pretty much ignore him, do whatever you want. But what we're going to emphasize today is that God is, in fact, the most sensitive and sophisticated relational being in the universe. So we should never think that some redundant ceremony would ever be meaningful or pleasing to him. It wouldn't be pleasing to any other human being. We know we're relational beings and we want to be treated intelligently and we, we look for consistent interaction. So it's saying this about God. God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us, he's always looking at us from within, not from without. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He's always saying, who are you? Who are we really inside, in secret, in our minds, in, in the wanderings of our imaginations, in our motives and things of that nature? He wants it to be faithful to him from the inside. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Goes on a little bit more. Come close to God. This is encouraging. Come close to God, and God will, what does it say? He'll come close to us. If I move toward him, he's going to move toward me. And, and this is regardless of my condition. I, I may be faltering. I may be drifting. I, I may be struggling with sin in some area of my life. But if I move toward God with my condition, he'll move toward me. He, he loves us. He's for us. He's with us. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts what does it mean about all this washing hands and purifying hearts? He's going to explain it right here. For your, what does it say? Loyalty is divided. Between what? Here's this mysterious thing again. Between God and the world. So track with this. God was saying, I have these passionate feelings about your inner condition. And he's saying, your inner condition, it's not one of consistent affection and devotion to me. So hence he uses the term adulterers. Now we're going to see that in the scripture God uses this terminology a lot. And the point that it should make to us that is both disconcerting and very encouraging simultaneously is that your affection and your feelings and your loyalty and your devotion 
They really matter to God in a very personal way. He is touched by it. He is moved by it. He, he is not some you know, enormous intellect that has no feelings. He is a being that has feelings, and our feelings can affect his feelings. And our affection matters to him. And when our affection is being withdrawn, and when our attention and when our loyalty is being divided, he feels it, and he cares. Now, he doesn't care in a selfish, angry fashion, but he knows that when our affections are drifting and wandering and, and when our loyalty is being divided, he knows that we are the ones ultimately being cheated as well as everybody that interacts with us because we are becoming a little less human and a little less fully alive and a little less Christ-like as our affection toward him dissipates and as our loyalty is divided. So it's not a selfish thing at all. All right, let me, let me give you a statement. What's behind this? What's behind this business of worldliness? And, and, and let me, I probably should have described this before I went to this slide. Let me explain what the Bible is talking about, what God is talking about when we, we say the world or worldliness third way. So it's not the planet, it's not the people, it's a system. Every day, all over the world, people wake up. They may be doctor, lawyer, they may be politician, they may be fireman, they may be policeman, whatever it is, their husband, their wife, their parent, they wake up, and I'm not saying you, but I'm saying in mass, the vast majority of people, they wake up and they go about their life and they go about their business just as though God doesn't really exist. Or if he exists at all in their mind, he's inconsequential. He, he doesn't affect. In other words, the, the doctor doesn't go in and he say, Lord, all I want to do today is honor you and serve you and bless those you put before me. The politician doesn't go in and say, you know, Lord, we don't dare make a decision about this piece of legislation until we consult you. We want to do what is right and just and good in your sight and, and so on. The, the, the songwriter that's writing this song, the movie maker that's, that's writing the movie, the, the book writer that's writing the book, they're not saying, oh God, all I want to do before I start writing this song or developing this movie or this book, I want to do that which is honoring to you and it's going to be a blessing to everyone. The world that we live in functions for the most part just as though God isn't there or if he's there, he doesn't really matter in any practical way and it's a global system that's what the Bible means by the world it is this system of humans saying I'm going to make life work for me even though God isn't there and I'm going to just make it up as I go and I'm going to make it work for me and this is a global kind of phenomenon the vast majority of people this is the way we function so it all spins, though, from something that I call the cycle of death and desperation. When Adam and Eve broke trust with God, all of a sudden, they lost the presence of God and they lost the perfect protection of God and the perfect provision of God. They had to go and kind of fend for themselves. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God says, you know, kick them out before they eat of the tree of life and live forever in this, you know, selfish, sinful condition. So all of a sudden, they're, they're having to kind of scrap for their existence. And that creates this cycle. Every human being that's ever been born since Adam and Eve broke trust with God, we're born with this cycle. If you want to know what, what drives you, if you want to know what drives every human being, here it is. And I call it the cycle of death and desperation. Life becomes driven by the desire for self-preservation. Number one, 
I know I'm finite. I know I'm alive now, but I also know death is waiting for me. It's hunting me down, and I don't know when it's going to come, and I can't stop it, but I'm going to fight it at least. I'm going to try to stay alive as long as I can. Right on the heels of that comes self-gratification. Even as a baby, we learn certain things, you know, relieve our pain, give us comfort, give us pleasure. So now we are driven. Every human being is driven by self-preservation, self-gratification, producing a self-centered kind of ruthlessness and recklessness. Ruthlessness meaning I got to stay alive, whatever happens, that's it. I'm, I'm going I'm to do what I have to do to stay alive. And the recklessness I'm going to experiment. I, I don't know what brings me pleasure. I don't know what's going to bring me pain. I just know that I'm only alive for a certain amount of time, so I'm going to get as much pleasure as I can and avoid as much pain as I can. So I go through life reckless and ruthless, and it creates this system that we call the world. Now, this system revolves around some, some basic drives. The world system is birthed out of the death and desperation cycle and it revolves around the pursuit of here's the the big pursuits of what the scripture calls the world or being worldly the pursuit of pleasure the pursuit of possessions the pursuit of pop pursuit of popularity pursuit of prestige and the pr pursuit of power these are the things that the world system revolves around the, the world system is, is a pretty brutal and a pretty fatalistic system it accepts Yes, we live in a world where crime can happen anytime, war can happen anytime, disease can happen anytime, accidents can happen at any time, and that's just the way it is, and we're all going to die. It's like a bad horror flick. Nobody gets out alive. And the world system and the people in the world system all accept that. They say, nevertheless, there are some good things, and I'm going to get as many of the good things as I can, and I'm going to enjoy them for as long as I can. That's the philosophy, and these are the things it looks to. Therefore, since I am alive, and I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, I'm going to get as much pleasure as I can, and I kind of feel good when I amass stuff, when I buy stuff, amass, you know, circle myself with things that I like to look at and I like to, you know, play around with. I like it when people like me, so I want it to be popular if I can. Prestige, that's even better than popularity because now people are looking kind of up to me, and power is the zenith. It's so funny to watch people go through the cycles that sometimes they hit all these things. They, they get so much pleasure. It's like, man, been there, done that. Then they buy everything they can buy, and it's like, eh, it's, it's all getting old. Then they get popular, prestigious, but then the last thing is power. And they will hold on to power even when their brains are not functioning anymore. Just a little thought. Um, <laughs> that's as close as I'll get. <laughs> so... Let's spend some time digging a little deeper because why is God so passionate about this to the point that he says that, that our disaffection or disloyalty, it's, it's somewhat like adultery. What, what's at the root of this? What, what's the problem? Why is it such a dangerous phenomenon that God will warn with such intense terminology? So we're going to go here. We're going to understand worldliness. We're going to dig a little deeper, blow the surface. This is a good 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing, he says, for, for I'm jealous. He's writing to the Corinthian church, the assembly. He says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of who? Of God himself. Now that sounds weird. Just last week, Randy, didn't you say in the sermon that jealousy is not good? Envy and jealousy, at least all kinds of things. Yes, but there is a kind of a jealousy 
that can be pure and is appropriate. Exodus chapter 20, remember the Ten Commandments? The very first one, God says, I am a jealous God. Have no other gods before me. Well, why would he say that? Because the other gods are fallen angels and they're, they're out for our destruction and he knows he's the only one that loves us, the only one that can bring to us what we really need. And so he's jealous for us. He loves us. Love will produce a right kind of a jealousy. Every husband and wife knows this. And I'm not saying that every, you know, you know, suspicious mind in a family is a good thing, but, but there's a legitimate kind of jealousy is what I'm getting at. So, so Paul says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure what? Now he's writing to a church. So, so he, he would be here today at FCF and say, I promised you guys as a pure bride, okay, to one husband who is who? Christ. It's a fascinating concept. Every time we see a wedding, we're kind of seeing the kind of relationship that God always intended to have with his people. It is one of deep affection, okay? It's a real relationship. But I fear that somehow you're pure and what does it say? Undivided devotion. Paul's saying, I'm worried about you guys in Corinth. I, I, I'm worried about your undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So here we see this, this intense, relational, emotional connection that God wants to have with you and with me. Because he's not writing to congregations as just a mass. It's, it's us. We make up the congregation. The dark side of this, or the uncomfortable side is a better way to put it, is that, that God's always watching my heart. What, what, what do I really care about? What do I really think about when, when I have free time? What, what matters to me the most? What, what excites me? What, what do I get really enthusiastic about? And when he sees, when he sees that that's not him, or maybe that was him, but it's not him now, and this is not to guilt trip anybody, it hurts and every one of us understands that anybody that's ever been in love with someone or loves their children and sees a change you know that that hurt you you want to retain the highest level of unity and and affection and that sort of thing so when he's saying that our involvement our affection, our loyalty for this world system, this lifestyle that is godless and that centers around you know, power and possessions and pleasures and things and doesn't put God as very important or very desirable in our thoughts or, or in our actions, God is simply saying, that hurts. That hurts, but it doesn't just hurt him. It hurts him because he knows it's going to hurt us because he is always our highest good let's look a little deeper again let's go to another passage in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament we have the same kind of terminology then in the nations where they have been carried captive he's talking about the Israelites they had been swept away by the Babylonians um, you know they were going to be in captivity for 70 years then in the nations where they have been carried captive those who escape will remember me how I have been what is the word grieved grieved by what by their adulterous hearts what was he talking about it was Israel's 
constant dabbling around with the worship of fallen angels which are the false gods and goddesses of the nation and when God saw their hearts wandering their affection wandering he, he says it grieved me it hurt me we have the same thing in Genesis chapter 6 just prior to the, the flood it says that God looked at the earth and he saw all the anger and all the violence and it says it grieved him in his heart we tend to think of God as sort of beyond feelings but he's not now he doesn't submit to his feelings and do impulsive things like you and I do things that we often regret but he does have feelings and he wants to relate to us on a very intensely personal feeling level so he says I've been grieved by their adulterous hearts which they have turned away from me and by their eyes which have lusted after their idols fallen angelic religion they will ultimately now here's where the kicker comes in the reason this bothers God is because he knows what it's going to bring into our lives he says they will loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices when I drift away from God it doesn't bring the better side of me out when you drift away from God count on it it will not bring the better side of you out. when we drift from our affection and our loyalty and our devotion to God we're not going to develop spiritually in fact at that point spiritual growth stops dead when I'm starting to to be drawn toward the world this godless culture and all that it offers and all that it tries to, to do to get my attention my spiritual growth stops and when my spiritual growth stops evil will start to manifest itself in my life and my character will not grow it will not become more Christ-like my capacities for thinking like God thinks and, and behaving like God behaves and loving like God loves they all get stopped when my loyalty when my affection when my attention is toward something other than, than God himself he, he is always my highest good and all he wants is to be able to bring into our lives the highest good but he can't unless we trust him entirely and focus on him with the fullness of our heart so here we have the same kind of a concept though that, that God's, God's really moved by our loyalty our affection or lack thereof let, let, let me make it very clear God looks into each of our hearts and lives and this is not again to make anybody feel guilty it's just just a wake up and he sees how, how do you feel about me do you think much about me do I matter much am I an unpleasant thought am I an obligatory thought or am I the joy of your heart I mean do, do you do you stay aware of my presence all day long everything you do do you do you, do you communicate with me spontaneously just because I get it you you love me you like me God asks those kinds of questions too but he doesn't ask it because he needs something from us he needs something for us because it is when I like him when I love him when I'm focused on him when I when I live my life united with him conscious awareness of his ways his will and his word that that I become that human being that he always created me to be and I'm able to do those things that he always intended me to do it's for my good in other words is what I'm trying to say let me show you one more about this world system Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 in the New Testament it says you followed he's talking to the followers of Christ that are now part of the the Ephesian church but he's having them look back into their past he says you followed 
past tense the ways of this world the ways notice the ways it's got its values and it's got its pursuits and it's got its fads and its trends and it's things that are accepted and things that are not accepted you follow the ways of this world and did what obey the devil wait, 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 man, I wasn't even thinking about the devil man I was just kind of flowing with culture I was just kind of going along with everybody it seemed kind of innocuous everybody's thinking it everybody's doing it but it says in fact when we are following the ways of the world we are obeying the adversary of God he does what with the world he rules it wait a minute wait a minute you mean you mean the whole system is Satan's idea the, the whole sophisticated system yes if you really want to know where it all started it starts in Genesis chapter 4 some of you that are Bible students and I wish all of you were and I hope you will be you go back to Genesis 4 and you'll see that Adam and Eve have a son Cain then they have another son Abel and Cain becomes jealous of his brother Abel because Abel's offering to God is accepted and Cain's is not Cain offers the work of his hands and God doesn't want that he's evidently clearly told both of these young men the appropriate way to approach him so Cain gets jealous of his brother and he can't punch God he's angry at God really because God didn't accept his offering but instead he kills his brother now when the Lord comes and confronts him about it he says okay you know this is a burden it's going to be too far of me everywhere I go somebody's going to look for me and kill me he knew the population would expand and people will come looking for him so he sends him away it says he he moved away from the presence of the Lord read it on your own in Genesis 4 4 it says that the Cain left the presence of the Lord and he moved east of Eden and the first thing he does he starts building a city he's like okay I'm going to live my life and self-preservation first so I'm going to need a city to protect me and self-gratification I'm going to fill it with stuff that I enjoy and the heck with God I'm going to live as though he doesn't exist or if he does he doesn't matter Cain is the satanic start of what we call the world system you, you read that Genesis 4 passage a little further down and uh, you get all these individuals that are born to his lineage and then you get to this one guy his great 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 grandson a guy named Lamech and Lamech is a just a brutal character he boasts about first of all he, he starts polygamy he marries two women at the same time the second thing he does is he kills a young man he says a young man wounded me but I killed him and, and I'll avenge anybody that attacks me 70 times he's, he's boastful he's proud he's powerful and this is the way the world system is it's a brutal system if you're intelligent if you're attractive if you have money if you have talent uh, I could add to the list well it'll treat you rather well for a time at least as long as you're interesting and entertaining but then it'll just as quickly abandon you but for the average folks that don't have the the highest intelligence and the attractiveness and the talent and the money and the prestige and the power well for the rest of those folks it's a brutal system you just you just scrap you just get what you can to stay alive so the ways of this world it's ruled by Satan it's a brutal fatalistic system everybody knows they're going to die they just don't know when so they're trying to get that little bit the bucket list get that bucket list in before you die 
so what you get the bucket list big deal living without god is never going to bring to us the kind of fulfillment that every human being at some point in life desires but sometimes we're, we're willing to just forget about altogether he rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't do what his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't do what doesn't say his spirit doesn't you know have power over everyone that, that, that just ask jesus to come into their heart no if whatever we call trusting in christ and being his follower is not showing itself in a life of obedience to the word of god then we're deceived and we're, we're still caught up in this system because authentic trust in christ will demonstrate itself we become his follower which means i look to his word and i live by his word all right let me let me give you one other slant on this the main forces of worldliness this this system that god says kind of gets between us and him on a relational level the main forces it's power based in other words three things it uses intimidation and the way the world works with intimidation is like you've got to fit in you better go along to get along if you don't go along you're not going to get along there's a lot of pressure to conform okay in the world system you have to embrace a number of things the second thing it uses is seduction because it offers a, a lot of quick cheap thrills it, it offers a lot of cycle breaking mood altering uh, coping mechanisms you remember we said that this group that James is writing to they were going through a disorienting time they were having some struggles they were looking for anything to just ease their discomfort anything to to break the cycle of pain anything to distract them a little bit we call it entertainment and I'm not knocking entertainment there is a place for it but when my whole life starts becoming drawn by the the cheap thrills the the short-term pleasures the the short-term distractions then that's a dangerous thing so it uses seduction it woos us because it's very sophisticated and, and very you got the celebrities and the talented people and and it's it's very charming the whole thing and then it uses deception it's just plain lies to us it promises us things that it can never deliver and it will often bait us with things and then torture us with the same things i had an experience some years back I, I'm, I'm going to share this because you know i don't even remember the man's name but a man quite a few years back came to my office sat down with me and he starts into this story he says i'm 60 years old i've been a business owner for decades a successful business owner he says and as i sit here right now today all i'm thinking about when i'm talking to you is how quickly i can get my next heroin fix when i leave here and he starts telling me this story of how he got into this condition man is 60 years old running a successful business he says it, it all started with I, I had some back problems and i think he said he had some surgery and then after that he had pain and they prescribed to him some opioids we all know about the opioid crisis his story is not very different than than hundreds of thousands of people who were prescribed medications to to ease the pain james people they were going through painful times the world offers things to ease our pain alter our mood distract us from ourselves a little bit so this man he starts off just trying to ease his pain he was completely innocent he he was not a criminal sort at all but 
it deceived him. This, this, this opioid thing became such a habit. And finally, he couldn't get enough of the legal opioids. And so a buddy of his told him, hey, man, you can save yourself a bunch of money. Just start scoring heroin, and I can show you how to do it and where to do it. So here he sat, a 60-year-old man in my office telling me, I'm sitting here talking to you, but all I'm thinking about is this, as fast as I get out of here to get my next heroin fix. So the world can deceive us. It will offer to distract us and ease our pain and alter our moods. There's a lot of mood-altering experiences, cheap thrills the world will give you, but it's deceptive. And the consequences can be shocking and long-lasting. So this is why God lovingly does not want us to fall into the possession of this system called the world it's all around us today with technology we can't really escape its attempts it's constantly communicating with us it's constantly baiting us on it's constantly pressuring us uh, at, at times very intensely you better fit in you better start thinking this way about this subject because if you don't you'll be canceled you'll be rejected you'll be punished you might lose your vocation it's a very dangerous system and we can't escape it we can't but we can overcome it okay you can't escape it you can't overcome it jesus words and this is what we want to look at now overcoming it john 16 this was the last night that jesus was with his disciples he was about to go to the cross in just hours he says i've told you these things so that you may have peace in this world you will have what trouble we should adjust our expectations jesus never said come follow me and you will never have trouble again <laughs> he doesn't say that he says you will have trouble but take heart i have what does he say overcome the world what did he mean overcome the world the world was going to crucify him in just hours and he knew it he had just told his disciples he was going to be crucified so what does he mean overcome overcome would be like stop them from nailing you to a cross the way we think but that's not the way he thought what did he mean by overcome the world will seek to get us to respond and conform to its image in Jesus what Jesus was saying is the world's going to mock me the world's going to ridicule me the world's going to beat me and rip the whiskers from my face they're going to drag me through the street after they've lashed me 39 times and they're going to take nails and drive them in my hands and and though i could remember jesus said at one point he says do you not think i could call 12 legions of angels he, he could have stopped it instantly the world was trying to get christ to retaliate satan was trying to get christ to retaliate so that the image of god the sacrificial love of god would not be revealed to the hum, human race and the angelic civilizations jesus is saying he overcame because he would not be molded he would not be shaped he would reveal the truth about God in his sacrificial death on the cross even though they mocked him and said oh if you're the Christ come down from the cross Satan speaking through the people so overcoming means that I am not going to be seduced I am not going to be intimidated and I am not going to be deceived by the world I'm going to see it for what it is and I'm not going to shrink back from my loyalty to Christ. And it can't offer me anything because I see it. I see it for what it is. I see how shallow it is. I see how empty it is. Let me show you the way the Apostle Paul 
uh, worded it in Galatians 6 verse 14 he said may I never boast except in the cross where Jesus sacrificially gave himself proving to us uh, his sacrificial love for us the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been what does it say crucified to me and I to the world what, what, is, what is, Paul why do you got to talk that way man we don't know what you're saying what do you mean the world's crucified to you the world's still alive and you're crucified to the world here's what Paul was saying Paul was saying when Jesus was crucified all the powers of the world were colluding you, you had crooked politics with the Romans and Pilate you, you, you had crooked corrupt religion with the, the Jewish religious leaders that instigated his crucifixion you had the fickle crowds that were cheering for him five days earlier and now they're all going along crucify 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 they want a thief Barabbas to be let go and not Jesus all, all the, the powers of the world brutality violence the world is not, not short in its supply of tools in its box to get people to do what they want it, it's not a shame to use lies and deception and slander and brute force and violence and you see in Jesus death all these powers of the world exposed all coming together to try to extinguish the universe of its creator evil evil would destroy all good if it could but it can't and that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying any world, I don't care how sophisticated it looks, I don't care how intelligent it is, I don't care how educated it is, I don't care how talented, I don't care how attractive, any body that would do this to the most beautiful life that the planet has ever seen, that world is dead to me. I see it for what it is. It will never have any pull on my heart because I know I know what it's really about that's what Paul meant when he said I'm crucified to that world and that world's crucified to me when that world attempted to destroy the king of kings the lord of lords the most beautiful precious life in the universe Paul said it will never have a hold on my heart again and that's how you and I will overcome the world you must see it for what it is don't be seduced don't chase it don't be enamored by it don't be intimidated by it and don't let it deceive you either because it can't give what it offers there's always a deep dark cost at the end of it Romans 12 tells us in very you know simple forms do not do not conform don't let it mold you don't let it shape you and it's not about clothes we don't all have to dress like Doc Holliday to be not molded to the shape of the world it's an inward thing yeah it can manifest itself in outward behavior but it's it's mostly inward do not conform to the pattern of this world but but be transformed by what the renewing of our mind now the only way we get transformed by the renewing of our mind is we saturate our minds with God's word and we learn to see life the way he sees it and then we start to think the way he thinks and we start to feel the way he feels and then we start to conduct ourselves the way he conducts himself we learn to live like God lives and we learn to love like God loves that's a transforming experience but it's based upon God's got to get his truth his revelation of himself into us and then his spirit and our spirit do this and then we start to grow we, we become fully human and fully alive progressively Finally this, 1 John says it in another way kind of, kind of bluntly. 
he says just don't do not and what is the word love it wants our affection it, it, once you get somebody's affection you can pull them far fast it might not last but you can pull them far fast do not love this world nor the things that it offers you the world offers seductive things for when you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see newer nicer bigger better newer nicer bigger better you've heard me say that before and pride in our achievements look at this record that i said look at this prestigious place that i live look at look and possessions these are not from the Father, but from the world. And I'm not saying that, that it's bad to have a nice home or, or nice clothes, nice car. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying we need to be conscientious about the bait that is used to try to steal our souls in this process. Now, as I close out, I want to I share a portion of Scripture with you, but I want you to think about something. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, it starts out where Christ is, is communicating with seven churches. These churches are all in what is modern-day Turkey, but they were in biblical times in Asia Minor. And uh, they are typological of churches all down through the ages. And so the first church that he speaks to is the church of Ephesus. We have in the New Testament the book of Ephesians. It was the book, you know, written to the church in Ephesus. So when Jesus is writing in Revelation chapter 2, Verse, verses you know one through I guess it goes through 12 or so to this church in Ephesus he starts off commending them he says you know you guys you're hanging in there you know I, I know you're undergoing a lot of pressure and, and persecutions over but you guys are being faithful and you don't tolerate wicked people and when false apostles came your way claiming to be apostles you didn't tolerate them you saw right through them and you guys no matter how much pressure and distraction has gone on you stayed faithful to me you've worked hard and so he's commending this church this Ephesian church but then in verse 4 he stops and this is what he says but I have this one thing I have this one thing against you you do not love me as you did at first I don't know I don't know who you are I don't know which of you are followers of Christ I don't know which of you are new followers of Christ I don't know which of you have followed Christ for a long time but what I do know is I've been following Christ for a long time and I know there have been times when when he looks in my heart he would see that that affection that loyalty ebbing and flowing ebbing and flowing now I don't want you to misunderstand I'm confident that I can say this with full awareness of his presence he has seen a pretty consistent rate of love passion enthusiasm and devotion to him first and his kingdom but it has ebbed and flowed at times and that is the question that I believe the Spirit of God is asking each of us today to be honest to be humble but to be very aware that this affection and this loyalty this devotion to Christ and his kingdom it is something important to God more 
important to us than we could ever begin to understand. And I think the Spirit of God is asking us this day, could it be that we can look back at times in our life and our love, our affection, our excitement, our enthusiasm, our devotion, our, our concrete service and investment in God and His kingdom was higher than it is now because we were, we were just all there. Remember when it was all brand new and you just couldn't even believe that you were forgivable? Or at least I can. And, uh, and Christ wants that, that first love, but he wants it to grow and to mature. So, how do you, how do we, how do I, how do we answer this one? Can we say, Lord, you know me. You know, like Peter said in John 21, you know me, Lord. You know I love you. And he says, okay, then feed my sheep, care for my lambs, and so forth. Can he look into your heart, look into my heart, and say, there is no division of loyalty. The world has no grip on my life. It's not taking my time. It's not taking my attention. It's not got the beat of my heart racing after it. It's not what my free moments to think and where my imagination goes. No, 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 Lord. My, my mind, my imagination, my time, it goes to you. It goes to your kingdom. You're, you're the, the desire of my heart. And, Lord, I know you know that. I know you see that. And if not, what he ends up telling that church, he says, go back and do the things you did at first. He says, trace back. Trace back where you started. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good thing to do for maybe all of us, particularly we that are longtime followers of Jesus, let's just trace back where we started. And he <laughs> He wants us to recover that first love, but it's not selfish. It's more for us and what it will do for us and in us than what it will do for him, but it will do something for him too. He really, really cares about your affection and your loyalty. Maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't, but that's his heart today. Love not the world because it will certainly get hold of our heart and direct our life on a tangent that will not end well. Let's pray. We thank you for this word, Father, today. And, and we know we are vulnerable to be seduced, intimidated, and deceived by this very powerful, immersive system. We know, especially when, when we're not comfortable we're not happy we're going through struggles we know we're extra vulnerable for anything that will distract us and ease our pain even if it's only for a little while and even if it comes with consequences help us to be humble enough to let your spirit search us out that we might all answer this question yes we're going to we're going to return to the first love and we will not let anything interfere with it ever again Lord Jesus, this is my heart's desire for everyone in this room. It's in your name I pray. Amen.